I'd like to start out uh, with, a, with kind of a fun exercise that I hope most of you will be able to relate to. So I'd like you to, to close your eyes for a moment and think back to a time when you first fell in love. Try to remember how you felt, how excited your, your heart was. Think about those things that you would do for that person to make them try to feel special. How you'd do anything for that person. I think back about how I'd always open the doors. I'd get little trinkets engraved at uh, Things Remembered at the mall. And I'd go to chick flicks without complaining. And Sarah would say I would even occasionally buy flowers. So you can open your eyes. And if you've been fortunate enough to stay with that person long term, I want you now to fast forward several years. Maybe you've, you've gone through struggles and, and gone through stressful times. You've helped each other through bouts of the stomach flu. You've maybe had kids and gone through those difficult times. And I wonder, are you still feeling that same way you felt when you first fell in love? You probably aren't. Those things that used to be exciting have become common, and you've dealt with, with struggles. And the same thing can happen with our walk with God. We can fall in love early on, but then over time that changes. We might lose that excitement and that passion. And in Revelation chapter 2, uh, the Apostle John has a, a vision that addresses this. And, and I believe that this will be a, a powerful message to try to, to stir up some passion within you, passion for God, but there's also parallels to marriages and other human relationships, these principles that get laid out so it could enrich your walk with God and your marriage or your uh, significant other. So we're going to look um, to the message in Revelation. So Revelation, as I mentioned, was written by the Apostle John towards the end of his life. He was imprisoned on, on an island, and he had to live by himself in a cave. And there was all other prisoners around him. And he was, I believe, in his 90s, and he had to live off the land. And uh, one, time, one, one day or night, he was in his cave, and he saw a vision from the Lord. And this vision is mostly known for how it shows us the end times. He shows how... how uh, God, how Jesus is going to return and defeat Satan. But it also has seven messages to churches of that time. And the first of those messages is to the church in Ephesus. And that church had been in existence for about 30 or 40 years at the time of John's vision. So what was that city like? Well, we see a picture up there on, on the left of the big, that was the Temple of Artemis. She was the, the fertility god, and there were thousands of priestesses employed by that temple. Ephesus was a city full of spiritual darkness and idolatry. Prostitution was rampant. It was common. You didn't even have to be ashamed to visit prostitutes. There were uh, large bathhouses for the community to, to get clean and, and wash themselves. 
But Christians could not even in good conscience go to those bathhouses because of all the other activities that took place there. Ephesus had deadly gladiator battles. These are things that we see on TV, except for they happen in real life to real people. And people would go by the tens of thousands to watch people kill each other or get destroyed by wild beasts. So this was the city of Ephesus. But it also had the largest church of its time. So this is who Jesus is addressing when he talks to John in the vision. In Revelation chapter 2, it says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In this passage, Jesus shows that he knows everything that's happening in the church in Ephesus. And he starts out with several items of praise. He commends them for being extremely hardworking. And in the original language, this conveyed the type of hardworking that a, a manual laborer would do hour after hour in the scorching heat. That was a good clarification because you, I may have thought that it described a manager working hour after hour sitting at a desk in air conditioning. But he's talking about grueling work, not the type of work that I'm accustomed to. They had no tolerance for evil. They lived in this society full of filth and garbage, but they wouldn't tolerate it in their church. And they valued a proper understanding of scriptures and an advanced development of, of doctrine. And they protected that. Ephesus was a, a town where many people traveled to. People come from, from other parts of the world uh, on ships. And people would, would pretend to be apostles. They would pretend to have spiritual authority. And they would want to give presentations and teach people. And these people had, had bad motives. They wanted to, to have power. They wanted to get riches or be able to influence people. And the church in Ephesus figured out ways to test who are the real people of God. And they would not tolerate those people that were false. And they were also patiently enduring in such a bad culture, it would be so easy to get discouraged and maybe give up, and, and not dig your heels in quite so much, but they endured. These are all very commendable things. These are all great. But there was a but after that sentence. Jesus says, but I have this against you. After all those good things, I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first.
By saying this, Jesus shows that he not only sees all their actions, but he can also see all the invisible things within that church. He can see their hearts, their attitudes, their motivations. And that's what's discouraging to him. And if we go to to the analogy of a, a human relationship, it would be like if Sarah came to me and said, Aaron, you work so hard at your job. You're able to provide for our family. You help with the kids. You mow the grass. But I want you to love me. I want you to love me. We used to be lovers, but now we're just roommates. So the the relationship with God had taken a back seat to all these other activities. And these are noble activities. And that's a dangerous place to be. And there are serious circumstances. Uh, At the end of the verse, let's go back on the slide. The last verse, um, it says that if you do not change, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. And what Jesus is saying is if, if you do not change your ways, I will come to you and I will remove my blessing from you and your influence over this culture, your influence of, of spreading Christianity will be removed from your church and I will bring it to somewhere else where they have that attitude in their heart. So what do they do? How do they get the love back? The, the brilliant thing about this passage is that in the very next verse, Jesus gives them three things to do to help get them back on track. That verse says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So the first of these is about remembering. And I I think Jesus wants them to look back 30 to 40 years ago when they first became Christians. He wants them to think about how they felt then, how they had that burning desire in their heart, and how they felt when they came to know the Lord and all their sin, all their shame, all their condemnation was gone. He took it away. And they were filled with gratitude. He wants them to look back to that time. He wants them to remember the life before Christ and the path they were on. How that they were on a road to destruction both in this world and in the afterlife. And he wants them to also remember the great victories that God has given them. When you read the account of the Ephesian church in Acts, he did The Holy Spirit did wonderful things. Many people were healed. People were were, uh, oppressed by demons, and they were freed. It didn't even require the laying on of hands. The Apostle Paul could just touch garments and bring it to these people and set them free from the bondage of the devil. That's what they needed to remember. I imagine that some, some of these people were probably remembering disappointments in the church, 
with the people they attended church with. They had some offenses that have built up over those 30 and 40 years, and that's what they were focusing their memories on. And not only that, they were probably taking those negative thoughts and that, those negative things that people did and dumping that onto their impression of God. But God says, don't remember those things. Remember me and what I have done. And also, um, to remember that it's all undeserved. In a, in a letter uh, to the Ephesians, to the early Ephesian church, Paul covers this in depth. In Ephesians 2, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So remember what God has done and how we felt when he first became our Savior. The second step that Jesus gives us is to repent. First, I want to tell you what repentance is not. It is not just having remorse or regret. It's not just feeling bad about doing something. There's more to it. It is, it is not an emotion. It is an action. And it means to completely change course or direction. And to illustrate this, well, uh, first, to put it in more simple terms, it means to do something different than whatever is not working. And it's, it sounds like a simple concept, but it's harder than you think for a lot of people. So I'm a manager at Spectrum Health, and I've got a team of uh, IT analysts and engineers, and we have to work with other people at the hospital. And one of the way, main ways we communicate is via email. And quite often I'd have people come from my team and say, Aaron, can you help me? I can't get so-and-so to respond to my emails. I've emailed him or her four times, and they just don't respond. And I'll say, well, you know, what was the last thing you did to try to contact them? Well, I tried to email them this morning. And I said, well, you've tried four times to email them, and it hasn't worked any of those times. Have you considered trying a different approach? Because if they don't respond to emails, they probably won't respond to your next one. Have you called them? Have you sent them a text message? Have you walked to their desk? Have you sent them an instant message on their computer? You know, it's a, it's a very basic thing, but you, you would not believe how many times this comes up. So, repent means to take a different course of action. And it would be like in my marriage. If things aren't going well with Sarah, if we're not communicating well, if, if we're just 
getting cold towards one another. Would I, should I just keep doing the same thing and hope that Sarah makes some change so I can fall in love with her again? No, that's, that's not going to work. If I want a better relationship with someone that's, and it's not going well, I need to change what I'm doing. And then there will be different results. The third thing from the message in Revelation is to do the works you did at first. The, the Ephesians were doing a lot of works, but they were told to do different works. And if you read the, the book of Acts, as I mentioned, it showed that there were a lot of miracles taking place, a lot of acts of faith. But there's one particular one that, that I think um, captures this really well. And it's in Acts 19, 17 through 20. And it's about a great book burning that took place. And it says, The story of what happened spread quickly through all Ephesus, to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them, who had been practicing sorcery, brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message of the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. So this early Ephesian church, the the works that they did was that they first recognized and they confessed sinful practices. Second thing is that they did a costly and complete severance from their stumbling blocks. Rick Renner, he's a uh, missionary in Russia and a well-known writer, he describes this as being a complete amputation from the source of the sin. So these books that they had were you know, very valuable, obviously, but they were also they, they were the source of, uh, they believed it to be a source of success or help in times of trouble, that they would re- go to these books and have these um, spells or these um, instructions for how to have the dark spirits help them. And they got rid of them all. They didn't save one or two of them to tuck under their mattress or to keep in a safe place in, in case things got tough and they were stressed. By doing this, they completely severed ties with what took, would direct them from God. And they said, I will depend on you, Lord. No matter what, I'm throwing this junk out. And these actions, they were countercultural and radical, and they did them in public. As I mentioned, this is a, a very dark society, and, and people would have thought they were crazy to burn all their books. They could have sold them at, on Craigslist. They could have did any number of things, but they started them on fire out in the, the, the wide open. And these were the types of actions that Jesus wanted them to return to. And I believe what he's saying is, if you go back to those type of actions, if you do something radical, if you confess your sins and turn from them, you will see that your relationship with me is blessed, that our love will get deeper and stronger. 
So as we look back on this message, we see that God was pleased with the Ephesians for their rigorous work. But he wanted more than just their effort. He wanted their love, their passion, and their awe. And even if we have that today, if you say, man, I am on fire for the Lord, there's a natural tendency for that to diminish over time unless you take deliberate action to maintain it. So to get back to that love we had at first, Jesus instructs us to remember. To remember what he's done. It's not hard to remember. It's not hard work. You don't need a seminary degree or any special training. It doesn't cost money. It just takes some intentional effort. You can do it while you're driving into work or just sitting around. You can just think of what God has done for me. And I ask you to, uh, to think about repentance. Is there anything in your life that's out of alignment with what God wants for you? Are there, are there things that need adjusting? Are there opportunities for you to go deeper with God? And if there are, I encourage you to change course and to have faith that God will bless and honor when you turn from sin. And to do the works you did at first. You know, think back to when you first became a Christian. Were there things that you did back then that you've stopped doing? Are there things that you should get back to? Is there anything you need to confess? Is there anything you need to burn up? I ask you to seek the Lord. And as we close with a, with a song with the worship team, I invite you to practice remembering. As they start playing the song, take a moment and think about all that the Lord has done. Think about those impossible situations that he got you through when he gave you strength when you were running on empty. Think about how he loved you and saved you when you didn't deserve it. God bless you.